You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Welcome to this week's edition of the GDPR Weekly Show. I'm your host, Keith Budden. And as usual, I'm going to begin with a shout out to our new listeners this week. And this week we have new listeners in London, Bristol, Dorchester, Belfast in Northern Ireland, Paris in France, Valencia in Spain, uh, Hordaland in Norway, Bucharest in Romania, Kiev in the Ukraine, Budapest in Hungary, Sao Paulo in Brazil, and then in the USA we have Hartford and New Haven, Connecticut, Atlanta and Charlotte. So a big welcome to all you new listeners and of course a warm welcome to all of my returning listeners. I do really appreciate you taking half an hour out of your week to catch up with the latest in the world of GDPR. And welcome to uh, GDPR Witchy Show. I hope you find the show useful and entertaining. Please do let me have any feedback on the show. I do read all your comments, though I can't always promise to reply to them on air. But uh, please do send any comments to podcasts at insurety.co.uk. That's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y dot co dot U-K. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. So coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, we have some output from a large survey conducted by the IAPP and Ernst & Young. We have an article on the Danish Data Protection Agency struggling under their current workload. We have an update on the Data Protection World Forum being held at itself in London in November. We have an article about Morrison's, the supermarket chain, contesting a penalty that was awarded against them for failings in data security. And then finally for this week's episode, we have an article on Schedule 7 Stop and Search and its implications for GDPR. So as usual, a packed episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Check us out on Facebook. Just a reminder that as well as the podcast, we now have our own Facebook group. Please do pop along and see us there at https colon slash slash www.facebook.com slash groups slash GDPR Weekly Show. That's always one word, GDPR Weekly Show. And uh, do please come and join the group and follow the discussions that are going on. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. After last week's survey about GDPR in the Netherlands, uh, this week the IAPP and Ernst & Young have released a report, a major report, into the take-up of GDPR both in the UK and Europe and indeed across in the US. And what I found is that some 44% of companies at the moment consider themselves to be GDPR compliant. But more worryingly perhaps, and perhaps identifying a need for more training, is that almost one in five 
say they don't believe they will ever be fully compliant. So 20% of companies and organisations saying that they don't believe they will ever be fully GDPR compliant. And as a GDPR practitioner, I find that really quite worrying um, because GDPR on the whole is really not that difficult to implement. So I will certainly be looking to do some more digging over the next few weeks to find out why one in five truly believe that they will never be fully compliant. Perhaps the other concerning statistic to come out of the study was that only 76% of all the firms that responded believed their firm fell under the scope of GDPR. Now, okay, there may be a small number of companies within the survey who may be a US-based and only deal with US customers. But my guess would be, given the way the survey was conducted, that most of the membership who were questioned will either be in Europe or be dealing with Europe. And therefore, that only 76% of them think that they will be affected by GDPR is in itself worrying because my personal experience has been, certainly in the UK, that probably closer to 96% of all organisations find themselves liable to GDPR. And so it's kind of worrying that there's this deviation between the number of people who probably are uh, responsible for GDPR and should be behaving under the rules of GDPR and those who think they should. And so it's obviously an issue which we are going to need to follow up and I will look at some initiatives over the next few weeks as to how we might help to bridge that gap and make some of those companies who currently believe they're not going to fall under GDPR realise that in fact they probably do and in fact they should have of course fallen under GDPR now almost five months ago so they are really um, swimming with the shark. And so I think it's important that we do what we can to educate those companies to realise they should be taking action. I'm going to report further on the contents of the survey over the next few weeks as there's an awful lot of data in it and if I was to cover it all in one episode it would occupy the whole of this episode of the GDPR Weekly Show and I don't want to do that because there are other things that also I want to squeeze in to this week's episode but I will put out a couple of key things one is well that came out is the appointment of a DPO a data protection officer and as many of you regular listeners will know we actually offer an external DPO service ourselves so if you don't want to have the full 68 to 75,000 pound cost per year of uh, employing your own data protection officer then you can appoint us to be your external data protection officer for only a fraction of that price. And if you're interested in that, please do get in touch with me via podcasts at insurity.co.uk. But anyway, coming back to the survey, um, the survey found that of the firms they spoke to, 48%, so almost half, have appointed a DPO, a data protection officer, either internally or externally. But interesting as well is the number of those who, in fact, didn't actually need to appoint a DPO, or let me put that a different way. 
weren't under a legal obligation to appoint a DPO, but decided to go ahead and appoint a DPO anyway, just to give themselves peace of mind, and that they also recognised that appointing a DPO uh, gave them a valuable function within the firm. One question in the survey asked the companies taking part where they spent their money on GDPR. And 33% said they spent money on staff. And indeed, most companies with over 75,000 employees said they'd taken on between 2.5 and 2.8 full-time equivalent people just to deal with GDPR. 12% of the spend had gone on training, and given that GDPR training is a large proportion of what we do, we of course welcome that and would look to try and get that percentage up. 22% uh, of the spend had been on technology solutions, uh, whether that be better firewalls, better encryption, better backups, or indeed some GDPR response uh, software itself. 15% of the spend had been on consultants, and again, as a GDPR consultancy, we welcome that part of the budget, and 18% had been spent on outside legal advice. But overall, the largest percentage of spend, if you add all that up, the largest percentage of spend by far is on staff, staff training, and consultants. That perhaps is not surprising, given a very people-centric nature of GDPR within most organisations. In terms of transfer of data outside of the EU, on the whole that's been covered under the EU-US Privacy Shield, which is no great surprise and indeed is probably why um, a lot of companies now are ensuring that they either deal within the EU or the US. And uh, indeed, we ourselves have helped a number of companies through the EU-US Privacy Shield process. And then we come on to the thorny subject, which always occupies people's minds in GDPR matters of, are you a GDPR controller, data controller, or are you a data processor? 75% of the respondents to the survey said they were certain they were a controller. Once you added on the number who said that they thought they were probably a controller, but they weren't sure, that number became 90% of the total. But 27% said they were a processor. And of course it's possible that some companies are performing both roles because there may be things where they are acting as a data controller and equally other areas where they are acting as a data processor. But perhaps it does re-emphasise our stated view that in fact companies shouldn't overstress on whether they are a data processor or a data controller because really the impact is not that different. You're both liable if something goes wrong. And so it's probably not worth spending too much time worrying whether you're a data controller or a data processor, except if you are a data processor, of course, then you should be going back to your data controller if you wish to subcontract any of the work that you're doing as a data processor 
out to another data processor because that data processor becomes effectively a sub-processor. But that can only happen if the data controller agrees to it. And interestingly, of the companies that took part in the survey, 95% of them said that they used data processors at some point during the data journey to process customer data or payroll data. Uh, and so it's really quite, I think, interesting there the percentages involved. What was very pleasing from our personal perspective was that nearly 8 in 10 of the companies questioned listed GDPR training as their top GDPR compliance priority for the coming 12 months. So some really interesting uh, content in that report from the IAPP and uh, Ernst & Young and I'll be returning to it in the next couple of episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show to pull out a few more facts and figures from that report for you. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host Keith Budden. We've mentioned several times on the GDPR Weekly Show about the Information Commissioner's Office here in the UK increasing its number of staff available to deal with GDPR-related issues. And it's not only, of course, in the UK where this is happening. There's been a report recently that in Denmark, the Data Protection Agency there, the their equivalent of the ICO, has found itself absolutely swamped by work and has seen something like a four times increase in the number of cases reported to it in the first quarter of since GDPR came into being and they hadn't increased the number of staff as substantially as our own ICO had and they're now actually saying that they're struggling to cope with the workload that they have and so they're urgently trying to recruit more people and uh, what they're saying is is that they are faced with an increased number of contacts not just from companies but also from local authorities and indeed the public themselves and they've had to move some personnel around to make more personnel available for their telephone help desk. Christina Delizano, the DPA's Director General, said one of our core tasks is to advise citizens, companies and authorities about their legal rights and rules. We are responding to the increased need for information about all aspects and areas of privacy protection. And so it's interesting to see that, you know, it's not just our ICO who's having to increase their workload, their personnel, but also the different responsible offices across the whole of the European Union. And the Danish ICO has also revealed this week that in relation to the Facebook data breach that we've spoken about several times on uh, the weekly show, um, they now believe that there are 42,000 Danish citizens with Facebook accounts that have been compromised. And uh, so that probably puts them quite low down, I would guess, on the number of affected people. But of course, the population of Denmark is quite low compared to some other European countries. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. 
an event for your diaries uh, on the 20th and 21st of November 2018 at the XL Conference Centre in London. Uh, it's the Data Protection World Forum. Uh, it's a conference spread over two days. There are a number of GDPR related topics coming up at the conference including uh, GDPR, the future of marketing and advertising, a GDPR health check, GDPR and HR, how to achieve ongoing compliance and of course GDPR and HR is something that we've been talking about in this episode of the podcast and also business development in a post GDPR world and I think that's something as well which would be of interest to lots of people of just how does GDPR impact upon business development and how do we make sure that business continues to develop for everyone even accepting the privacy constraints that GDPR places on us. So it's promising to be a really good conference and expo. Excel, if you don't know it, is very easy to get to. It's out in Docklands, just to the east of London. Um, it's by the Jubilee Line for underground. Um, it's also very close to London City Airport, so for visitors from overseas it's very easy to arrive there. And it also has other good transport links. Uh, it's not great though to drive to, it has to be said, so it's a good case to use public transport, uh, most definitely if you can, because it makes your journey there much, much simpler. I'm going to be there on both days. If you'd like to meet up with me during the course of the Protection World, Data Protection World Forum, then of course I'd be delighted to meet with you. Please just drop me an email to podcasts at insurity.co.uk. Uh, with a note of which date, the 20th or the 21st, works best for you. And uh, we can arrange to meet at the conference. Um, I'll be talking some more about the conference in uh, a future episode of the podcast between now and November. And uh, indeed, hopefully we'll be getting to interview one of the organisers and uh, have that discussion. But just a note for your diary, so if you haven't got it in there already, please pencil in the dates, 20th and 21st of November at XL in London. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Please do share the GDPR Weekly Show podcast with your friends and colleagues. Uh, we're very pleased to have been in the uh, Apple iTunes Business Top 100 podcasts now in the US, in the UK, and this week we've also been in the top 100 in Belgium and in Switzerland. So really, really pleased to see that, obviously, and we'd like to get higher up the charts. Uh, be great if we could get into top 40 rather than just top 100. So please do share the podcast with your colleagues, and anyone else you think may be interested in what we have to say. Just a hint at a couple of things that we've got coming up in the next few episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. We're going to take a look at the effect of GDPR upon the utility industries, principally the water industry, but also looking at how it affects the gas and the electricity and indeed telephone industries too. And in particular, the impact that smart meters are going to have on GDPR and on people's ability to access data and equally 
on the utility company's responsibility to keep that data safe. So we'll have that coming up in the next few weeks. And also coming up in the next couple of weeks, we will have an interview with Caspar Craven. Caspar is a uh, inspirational speaker. He has sailed around the world with his family. He's set up a totally different life set style for himself. And I think it will make a very interesting interview. We will talk GDPR, but we'll also talk about border issues as well. And so that interview with Casper will be coming up either next week or the following week. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. The supermarket group Morrison's has been caught up in a first of a kind GDPR case after a criminal breach made payroll details of 100,000 of their employees uh, public. The supermarket is currently appealing the matter at a court of appeal after an earlier adjudication said that the firm was partly liable. What happened in this case wasn't that they had an external data breach, it was that they had a disgruntled employee who had legitimate access to the company's entire payroll and decided that they would leak uh, salaries, bank details and national insurance numbers. Now, clearly there may well be some criminal action against that individual employee, but nonetheless it left Morrison's in a very embarrassing situation. Uh, Morrison's have since found themselves subject to a group litigation process. Some 5,000 of the 100,000 workers affected have clubbed together to sue their employer. And uh, so it'll be very interesting to see which way this goes when it gets to the Court of Appeal. And we will, of course, be bringing that to you. Morrison's itself it says it's fighting the judgment. It says the original ruling was divergent from data law. And their barrister says the firm is completely innocent in the event. Um, I'll leave it to you to decide whether you actually believe that they're completely innocent. I think that could be a, a useful play on words on the part of their barrister, but we shall see. Um, they also argue that under the Data Protection Act 1998, they are excluded from liability. The employee who made the data uh, public has already been hauled in front of the criminal court and been sentenced to eight years in prison for unlawfully disclosing the personal data and also some allegations of fraud. So it's a very interesting case and it'd be very interesting to see what the outcome of the Court of Appeal is as to quite what they consider the liability of Morrison's to be but it does perhaps highlight an important thing and that is that in terms of data protection, still too many companies spend 99% of their time looking at threats from outside. And only 1% of their time looking at threats from inside. And yet, as this case indicates, we only need a disgruntled employee and they can do far more harm than someone who might spend years and years trying to hack into your system. So do think about internal security as well as external security and of course if you need any help with that please do get in touch with us because GDPR has undoubtedly forced businesses to sit up and take notice but there are still these blind spots 
It's almost like driving a big lorry and there's still spots behind us we can't see. And some of those spots are internal security, internal training, encouraging whistleblowing. So that if someone is suspicious of another employee, yeah, you don't want to, you, know, you don't want any secret trials. But at the same time, if an employee thinks that another employee who has access to personal data is potentially a data risk, you need to encourage that employee to speak out and speak to either the data protection officer or the data champion or one of the directors of the company, whoever they feel they can trust most. But it is important that you educate employees to act because whatever the rights and wrongs is particular Morrison's case, the fact of life is, is that 100,000 of their employees have now had their payroll data exposed to the outside world and that simply cannot be right. There is no defence for that. So we will be keeping a TFY on this case. When there's more news, I will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. The independent reviewer of terrorism legislation has called for greater clarity over police schedule seven powers and in particular the impact that these schedule seven powers may have on data under gdpr just to explain schedule seven gives the police the power to seize mobile phones and computers at ports and airports without having to prove any grounds for suspicion. And what it means is that the police, whereas you're about to enter or leave the country, can stop you, can copy the data from your mobile phone and your computer, and they don't have to tell you why they're doing it. And uh, Max Hill QC said that he believes Schedule 7 to be a work in progress with still some room for improvement. He said, I'm still uncomfortable with a regime that doesn't have objectively verifiable thresholds for intervention at our borders. The Home Office has yet to respond to a request for a statement, so we'll wait and see what they say. just to elaborate a little further on Schedule 7, Schedule 7 of the Terrorism Act 2000 gives Border Police the power to interrogate and detain any person at a UK international travel terminal for up to six hours. Police will have the powers to conduct personal searches and collect biometric data. They may also seize any electronic devices the person may be carrying. Detained subjects are obliged to answer all questions and to supply passwords to enable data to be downloaded. There is no requirement for an officer to say why they've made the stop or what reasonable suspicion they have that the person may be involved in terrorist activity and yet the suspicion of terrorist activity is the only reason they should be using Schedule 7 to stop people. And so it'd be interesting to see what the outcome of this is and what response eventually comes out of the Home Office on this. When asked for some figures, um, 
the Home Office did say that in 2012, 60,127 people were stopped under Schedule 7, with 614 of those people subsequently being detained for the maximum length of time. In 2017, 16,349 people were stopped, so only a quarter of the number of people being stopped, but 1,700 of those people were detained for the full maximum number of hours. And that's interesting, I think, because that means that we've gone from 1% to 10% of the people being stopped now being detained for up to six hours and having to produce this data from their phone and their computer. But of course, it then gets into the question of where does that fall under GDPR? Well, my personal view, and I must state this is a personal view because it obviously needs a lot more investigation. My personal view is I don't think there is a GDPR related issue because one of the legitimate reasons for sharing data is because the law says you have to. And clearly in this case, the law very much says you have to. I think, though, there would have to be very clear basis of knowing how long the police kept that information for and what they did with it. And most importantly, that they did have some way of reassuring the person who they've taken the data from that should the investigation come to nothing and there is no criminal action, then that, that data is securely destroyed. And so there are some questions to be asked there and we will be asking them of the Home Office as soon as we get an opportunity to talk to them. So no doubt we will return to that in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Check us out on Facebook. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback by sending an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk. You can find out more about us at Insurity at www.insurity.co.uk. And I look forward to speaking to you again, same time, same place, next week. Have a good week, everybody, and remember to keep your data safe. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurity production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurity.